It's weird, but last night I was reading Sylvia Plath's diary. Hope she doesn't mind. One entry begins simply, Again, I cannot help muse upon the imprisonment of the individual in the cell of her own limitations. I mean, she couldn't have nailed it more. I know what it's like to be within that cell of one's own perceived limitations. And it's as if we are sending out that message in a bottle to some truly unknown reader who may never appear when it is written in something such as a so-called diary. Even if to ourselves, even most, even most, a message in the bottle to some other, to some other element of self. Ah, if we are imprisoned in the limitations of one self, another self within us surely is watching that prison, saying, ah, let me, like Rumi, encourage you to fly straight out of that open door. But we learn what we must when we must in the ways that we do. And the diary is a place to work it out. But it's a private place. A strange private place. Distinctly not as private as inside the head. But private nonetheless. A performance of privacy, maybe. <laughs> the poet Paul Valore was also a prolific diary and journal writer. And there's a new incredible book called The Idea of Perfection, the Poetry and Prose of Paul Valore, a bilingual edition translated by Nathaniel Rudavsky Brody. And in this introduction, he writes, behind the published works, behind the uneventful life of the almost forgotten and then exceedingly famous poet, there hides another story, a private life of the mind, it has its record in 28,000 pages of notebooks revealed in their entirety only after his death. Their existence has been hinted at, of course, evoked in rumors and literary asides, but once made public, it took years for their significance to be fully appreciated. It turned out that the prose fragments published in Valerie's lifetimes were not what they had been taken to be. They were not the after-the-fact musings of an accomplished poet, nor his occasional sketchbook, nor excerpts from his private journal. And this is where Radevsky Brody gets quite poetic himself. They were a disfigured glimpse of a vast and fragmentary, quote, exercise of thought, a restless intellectual quest as unguided and yet as persistent as rigorous and yet as uncontainable as the sea which is so often their subject the poems themselves mere quote exercises of literature were the necessary accidents the necessary accidents the glance of sunlight on the multifaceted waves of that same swell Interestingly, of course, Valere, as he says, as he goes on to say, never found a form for this great work to be represented, and that perhaps this was the essential contradiction of his life. So we see Valere took the diary, or we'll say the journals, to a whole new level. Um... Valerie writes in his own diary, to publish one day this investigation, it would be better to do it in the form, I did this and that, a novel if you prefer, or if you prefer a theory, the theory of oneself. This is such an important moment, and I think of, I've been reading Beyond's Memoir of the Future, and that psychoanalytical-based text made into a fiction really emphasizes the incredible truth that can be found in fiction and of course exposing the fiction of our so-called or so-perceived truths. I say all this because I'm interested in the expression of the internal mind in the both private and public sphere and how those divides fall apart 
often when we start to deconstruct how it's all working. And I think that as poets, we are constantly confounding and reaffirming different ideas about the autobiography of a life, of a consciousness. And as we move forward uh, towards 2024, um, I'm going to be talking a lot more about these ideas of myth and collective consciousness and the private experience of the self and where those binaries fall away and where they are more reinforced and by reinforcing and containing them we actually find a lot of power and potentiality in discovery and there's the work of the self-discovery and then there's the collaborative work of mutual discovery and I think both of those are gifts gifts we can give ourselves and gifts we can give other people and they're also tools that the poet uses so these are tools in our toolbox right so we can think of the diary as a tool in which we can have self-discovery and a tool in which we can further and enhance our of course our poetic capabilities with the reader uh, taking this private world and bringing it to the reader in today's episode i'm talking to the poet marissa crawford who wrote a book called diary and it's a book of poems and she's sort of exploring and challenging the idea of recording once every day but i think finding a lot of pleasure in the very texture of the statements that we make about the everyday, the texture of statements of memory. For example, these lines, working from home, I take a quote, lunch break. That involves me eating mac and cheese straight from the pot. It makes a warm feeling traveling down to my stomach. In high school, I'd try to go the whole day without eating. Then I tried being the cool girl who doesn't care about getting fat. I had a stack of 17 magazines, a quart of fish food ice cream, smear of vanilla lip gloss where my mouth should be, my whole horrible life in front of me, row of manila folders. There is a feeling of the confessional here, yet there is so much ambiguity while hell spreads out in those manila folders. We're not sure if they're now or then that we suspect now in comparison to that glittering fish food in those 17 magazines. But I was thinking how I have this Adam Phillips quote on a sticky note right next to my computer right now and it says dreams become emblematic in the Freudian descriptions of the fact that all experience is mediated. Of course, I'm saving that for a dream episode, but it feels apt to think about the mediated nature of the paper. The diary is a mediation between our internal and external understanding of ourselves. And that, too, I think, is shared with the other once we've edited it and chosen for texture and song certain parts. So here it's important to note that in terms of the Valerie and the Plath quotes and then Marissa Crawford's book, one is written to be published and the other was published posthumously. So it's very interesting to think about looking at all the work of the journal and the diary after a writer has passed and seeing the sort of mechanisms of their thought processes um, that they probably assumed would never be seen, but ah, maybe thought may have been seen, that we in some ways are always private and always public in everything we do. I think in Marissa's book, she's really playing with the medium and the mediated object of the diary as a kind of form for the public poem. And I find that really exciting. And I find it like so much based in tone. I can't help but thinking of this like idea of it's 
it's like a choice to transcend a coveted insight and what generosity is in that and I think a lot of fun and playfulness. Marissa Crawford is the author of the poetry collections Reversible and The Haunted House and most recently Diary from Spite and Dival Press. Natalie Diaz writes of Marissa Crawford's diary, this collection is about obsessions and how we are always building them, surrendering to them, or evading them. What is really being wrestled with is love, its losses, despair, denial of that despair, learning to love one's own body and self, and all the ways we trick ourselves into making it through the hours and days and shifts of this grinding blue world. Marissa Crawford's writings about feminism, art, and pop culture have appeared in The Nation, Harper's Bazaar, Bust, Vice, Hyperallergenic, Bitch, Miss, The Rumpus, and elsewhere. Marissa is the creator and editor-in-chief of Weird Sister, a website and organization that explores the intersection of feminism, literature, and pop culture, and co-host of the 90s rock podcast, All Our Pretty Songs, with the poet Seth Landman. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. And I was thinking about like diary because it's like feels very much like observe observations about like every day. The confessional when we talk about women's poetry almost is like suggesting this idea that like women don't have an imagination beyond like the immediate personal and emotion. Whereas when men write about personal everyday whatever writing, I feel like it's more often thought of as like commentary about the world. Alanis Morissette comes up in this book. When her music came out in the 90s, it was like, she was treated like, oh, this woman's just like spewing her diary. It was almost like a cautionary tale. Confessional is crafted and it's intentional and it's art and it's powerful. Marissa Crawford, welcome to the Odin Psyche podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're talking today about your newest full-length collection of poetry, Diary, out this month from Spite and Dival Press. Congratulations. Thank you. The second poem of the book, Spring is Here Again, opens, I waved you from inside the 90s. And this is, of course, after the prom, maybe is called, of the book, Remember Me. And the whole collection is called Diary. There's this immediate sense of nostalgia that hits us as we enter the collection, a kind of like retro filter um, that keeps invading the present moment. And this tone um, that embodies a language of a self that almost like is performing the past's echoes in this mm -hmm. like very specific and curated aesthetic, which I feel passes from book to book and project to project that you work on. And this is uh, an aesthetic of um, CDs, sticks of gum, choose your own adventures, smashing pumpkin zero shirts, scream, lip gloss. I speak of course of the 1990s. Um, given that you're also the co-editor of an anthology, We Are the Babysitter's Club, a collection devoted to fans of those books, as well as a co-host of the 90s music podcast, All Our Pretty Songs with the poet Seth Landman, I wanted to start off addressing this um, and talking a bit about interacting with an era creatively um and how I, you know i just talked to Dottie lasky on the podcast and we talked about her obsession with the shining and how that's really passed over the years throughout her all her books and her poems and so i guess themes of obsession are on my mind and i'm wondering what is it what is it about the the 1990s that stirs you and keeps you coming back to it <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, besides being like reared in it, I'm sure. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, obviously it's the time we grew up and it's like, it's funny, like, I feel like at this point, I have so many projects that are like rooted in like, 90s, like, quote unquote, nostalgia, for lack of a better word. And like, and it's funny, like, I feel like I'm starting to get self conscious about it as I like get older, because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, um, 
But, you know, it's just like a very, um, I guess, like fruitful subject matter. Like, it's like, I feel like um, in different ways, like, um, I'm just interested in kind of like revisiting like the pop culture and like, just like larger culture of like our youth, you know, like how, and like, I think thinking about it from like a different perspective, especially, I think a lot, um, a lot of my poems, like, and the other projects that you talked about, like definitely like the, um, the pod, the podcasts, all our pretty songs that I do with Seth Landman and then the babysitters club anthology, um, that I co-edited with Megan Milks, like, um, are kind of like, I guess in different ways, like revisiting these like sites of pop culture from like an adult, like, uh, like feminist perspective as like, especially Mm -hmm. like looking back and being like, you know, what was I taking away from all these things? Like as, as a kid, it was like so foundational, um, all these different ways of like being in the world were so foundational, um, and so influential and it's just like interesting I think to revisit them from like an adult perspective and think about like how they shaped um my and like so many other people's understanding of of the world around us um and I think that's definitely like happening in some of my poems like it's definitely happening in the the podcast and I think like with the babysitters club project too like um, I think I'm also interested in kind of like revisiting like um stereotypically like girl uh cultures right um that like you know was associated I feel like with young girls specifically like in the yeah. 90s or even like beyond that and just kind of like taking those elements seriously um when I think that they're so often like dismissed by larger culture you know like something like the babysitters club it was like a hugely read like um book series and yet I don't feel like it's given the same treatment as like um I don't know other you know like Marvel like those the kinds of things that are like more stereotypically like read by boys for example um so yeah all of those things I guess that's amazing um I was hoping too that maybe I would love to like after hearing all this hear a poem And I was thinking we could start with Remember Me. Yeah, for sure. Remember Me. Diary. Dracula Drive. I don't want to go back to Connecticut. I want to go back in time. You've been watching me do my dumb dance moves for 20 years. We high five as you pass by. All the lip glosses come in new flavors for a new millennia. Putting on lipstick in the lobby, or is it the opposite? This one's called Remember Me. It goes a little something like this. Holy smokes, I'm not a ghost. You can see me when I'm walking around in your apartment. I ask my mom about God She quotes the show, Friends. I'm lying on the floor and I'm a body. I drunk dial someone, but I don't know who. I'd find myself under the Christmas tree. Dedicate my whole practice to my father's brother. Text his ex-wife a bitmoji, me with confetti. I say... The ghost is dissolving in the water, and it's a sad song. I want you to remember me. How gross could a human girl get? Toasting marshmallows over a Bic lighter. Lying in the backseat with my head in your lap like your parents didn't know what that meant. Cool, cooler, trying, really. Got lunch with my dad, left feeling sad, then got catcalled so hard it threw me half a block. Got catcalled again. I guess that to be the spokesperson for your generation, you have to be kind of outspoken or maybe just too drunk or fucked up to care. In the wind, I think I got blown over by you. 
And that is how I ended up here. A cigarette in one hand and a Christmas garland hanging on you. Lives trying to be too epic or just too fucked up to care. I think that my mom was terrified raising three girls alone. She was like Drew Barrymore in Scream all the time. I'm having a hard time existing, the sunset and stuff. Sometimes I send you random texts like, just went for a run on the track, just to try to cultivate a relationship like that. I Google my ex-boyfriend. I Google my other ex-boyfriend. I listen to music on my yellow Sony Walkman. But I wasn't a bad girl. I don't want to be forgotten. Got kissed on the movie theater steps by the flagpole. Had an epiphany with Mark's fingers in my mouth. Where's the AIM? I'm lost. I'm six girls all at once. Sad store where we ate sad breakfast bagels. I once performed Jenny from the Block karaoke. It sucked. My mom is my Ars Poetica, but not. Lost my sunglasses in the ocean. Remember me. Remember me. Remember me. Mm. So beautiful. Remember me by... Marissa Crawford, I, you know, this, you can't help but kind of going into this poem feeling the voice of the vampire um, <laughs> with the Dracula drive. At least I did. I don't know. I, I, but I, I mean, you say in the back of the book too, that the title of the poem is taken from a horror book from the nineties by the same name. Um, but of course we see the speaker throughout the poem, and the same speaker in this poem as throughout the entire book. I've been curious about um, two things. Two things came to mind when I was hearing this. One is I've been curious about the decisions that we make to open our books and the poems that we choose to open with, which I feel like is, in some ways, it's like the easiest decision to make in a book and other ways, in other ways, the hardest Um so that's one part of the question. The other, the other part that when you were reading it, I was like, there's something about this poem. And, and I think, and it comes up in other poems too, but the, the you, because of your, there's almost like a drifting between speakers. And because I was thinking, I was thinking of a vampire, um, but the, the, there's a drifting between selves in the poem throughout time and I feel like in different sort of manifestations of the self um, that the you becomes even more strange and I'm very I'm just very curious about I don't know I don't even know how to pose a question about the you like what do you like to, to demand something from from a poet about who their you is is mm. I don't know it's almost like breaking a fourth wall or something sacred but um, so I guess that the two parts of this question would be um did you know you were going to start the book with this poem and uh anything you have to say about the you yeah I mean I didn't know I was going to start the book with this poem like this poem always felt like kind of like an outlier like I thought I was going to write like a book called uh, at least a chat book called remember mm -hmm. me and it was going to be like this long poem and then like I don't know. I did write another Remember Me poem once and I don't know where it is. Like it's like oh, it was it's forgotten. Like, it's like in my phone apps or my notes app on my phone somewhere. Um, but like I feel like it just never happened, you know? Like I thought it was gonna be like I just waited for it to become this like long epic poem and it just like never did. Um so I yeah, I mean, I actually, it was like a last minute decision to move this poem to the beginning. And I can credit um, Becca Cleaver for, for helping me with that decision, um, who's a really good poet friend. Um, because I like, I don't know, it's weird. Like these poems, some of them feel 
felt really like old. Like I started working on this, this book or this manuscript like a long time ago and it felt different from like my last book that I published. Like I was like, I don't want these poems to be in this book. It's like, it feels separate. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I kind of like have some shorter poems in the beginning and then like the middle section is called big brown bag and it was published as a chat book. And it's like these, this series of untitled poems and then the end I like kind of thought about as like a long poem named diary but then those kind of got titles too so um I don't know I feel like remember me I was like I want this I felt like it should like be on its own somehow I tried to make it its own section in the book and then I was like I called the book remember me when I was submitting it um for a while and like um yeah, like when I submitted it to Spite and Dival, it was called Remember Me. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to this, to the original name. Um, but. Well, there's something similar between Remember Me and Diary. They're both sort of record, like attempts at recording or being remembered or or something. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Um, and yeah, I guess that, yeah, like Remember what remember Me was like a Christopher Pike, um, like young adult horror novel that I read as a kid. And it's like about this, this girl who dies and she's like a ghost, like trying okay. to avenge her murder. And she's like walking around, like seeing things like, and I don't know, she just like, I just think it's like this haunting image of this like dead girl that was like that's like always like weirdly in our culture and like oh my god yeah we um, love dead like, girls yeah we love dead yeah. girls and it's like what a, it's just so weird for like a like a teenage girl to be like remember me like the I have like a line from the book in my poem where she's like I wasn't a bad girl I want to be I don't want to be forgotten right and it's like I don't know like I feel like there's just this weird tension about like being a girl forever and like growing up Mm -hmm, and death mm -hmm. and um and yeah so I guess I I ended up moving it to the front because I felt like it it just needed like some kind of placement that I couldn't figure out and then Becca was like what if you put it in the front and I was like I love that idea yay (laughs) yay for editors yay for friends yeah small epiphanies yeah yeah (laughs) friend editors yeah you know invisibility comes is in this poem and it comes back in other poems as does lipstick um, in Holy Sonnet, you say, quote, I'm in St. Patrick's Basilica throwing my Christmas corsage at the Virgin Mary. I put my lipstick on with no hands. I give a shout out to myself. I wonder about, of course, the idea of the undead, the ghost, the vampires, who don't actually have to worry about age and appearance, yet being in some ways a very limited um, manifestation of a being um, who is paradoxically very, you know, I get, I was going to say old, but uh, I, of course outside, you know, I don't know. Ghosts seem ancient to me, even though they're stuck in one age. Mm. Um, what I was what I'm really thinking about because I feel it's here in the book too, in terms of thinking about nostalgia for one's youth is a kind of anxiety about aging and, and from a feminist lens too, maybe like a reflection on our cultural anxiety about aging, which of course um, becoming invisible as we age and how something like lipstick might make one more visible or give one more comfortable feeling of being made visible on a very highly feminized part of the body but I was reminded too in your poem in in part of the big brown bag section of the book one line is sometimes I feel invisible no matter how big the bow on my headband is no matter how gold my platinum glows um I don't know. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit. I don't know if you had, like, if that brings up any thoughts about some of the anxieties in this book or what you were exploring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's definitely like, I feel like I was thinking about kind of like invisibility, um, hyper visibility, like kind of like being seen. Um, Yeah. Like, I guess like, obviously like the, like, 
the male gaze or whatever like I think is like coming through and like um a lot of ways like it's like I think in the poem I just read it's like just like being like having lunch with your dad and then like being catcalled it's like just having like this right. like um weird like confluence of like ways that you're like a human and a daughter and a woman and then like an object like it's just like I don't yeah. know like I think like um yeah like I think like how um I'm thinking still about I guess like that the Christopher Pike book I remember like there was this quote when I was like working on this poem, I was kind of rereading that book a little bit. And um, sh there was a quote in the book where this like teen girl ghost is like, when I was alive, I like complained about people like commenting on my appearance, appearance. And like, mm. now I realize I never should have complained. Oh that was um, like a epigraph for the, for the poem for a little while. And I ended up taking it out. But um but like, oh, yeah, I think this like idea that like, yeah, just I guess like being a girl, being a woman, like having like all this like visibility and like just like all this gaze on like your body and your appearance. But then also, yeah, like being invisible as you get older, like how um, like I think as we like age, like in particular as women, like people, we kind of become more like invisible in our culture. But then um I think like women's bodies are so like hyper visible in our culture, but then like, I feel like in some ways our voices are not heard. So yeah. I think like that idea of being like, I feel invisible. I forget the line, but what you said, like, no matter how big the bow on my headband Forehead, is, it, like, yeah, headband. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's like this girlishness, the tension between not feeling, I think that a lot of these poems have like a, um, a struggle around like communication or something like wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, wanting to connect. Yeah. Um, and you asked about the you, like, I feel like it's like a connection, a, a lack of connection or a missing something or someone. Um, and I think that's kind of tied to like the feeling of invisibility or like not being heard or being seen. Um, and a lot of these poems also take place in like a, workplace mm -hmm. um and I think like that kind of connects this idea of like the multiple selves and like who which parts of yourself get like seen and which parts of yourself you have to like hide away in like different contexts right because um, you have to speak so differently at work and you also have to dress differently for work and put perform as other self yeah, yeah, totally. And also in other contexts, like, you know, like yeah. with family, with like, um, yeah, I feel like you yeah. have all these different like versions of yourself, but especially the work one. <laughs> well, there's so many, there's so many issues that you bring up too, that, you know, thinking so much about the way that we're raised and, you know, as women thinking about our, oh, what, what, what does attention mean? Like, what is getting attention mean and we're we we want attention we crave attention and yet attention too can feel so uncomfortable and unwanted and then we feel like oh you're not supposed to not want attention like you should be grateful to have attention and then you think oh but I'm supposed to be getting attention for my body and I don't then when do we get to when do we learn or when are we allowed to explore what it looks like to get attention for our words, right? So it's it feels good as a poet um, maybe to have the opportunity to explore more, like, or even like, like you said you're doing, sort of working back through those times and throughout one's life and, and the most formative years of coming to understand yourself as an adult mm -hmm. um, through words specifically on the page where there is no actual visual. I mean, you have the, you, you know, you have a, a very wonderful and specific cover of your book with a woman actually looking through into a mirror through her phone at her own body, but has no face. So that's really a, a, a perfect cover for this. Cause like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, it made me think about like, yeah, there's a, there's just like a lot of conflicting as we know and confusing ideas about 
what it means to be visible and invisible and like wanting to be invisible in ways that I don't know. <laughs> when, when do we want to be invisible? That's kind of a good question. Like some, I want to be alone sometimes, but I don't right. necessarily want to be fucking invisible. Like, I don't think I've ever wanted that. Um, totally. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> What you were, it's like interesting that you brought up the book cover because, like, when you're talking about um, the idea of like wanting attention, it was making me think of um, the artist who did the cover, um, is this artist, Erin M. Riley, and she makes the cover is actually. Um, it's a it's a tapestry and it's yeah. incredible like she makes these like amazing <clears throat> tapestries um, and I. Um, wrote a review a few years ago of one of her um one of her shows and yeah and I like read or listened to I forget something like where she was talking about this idea like a lot of her pieces like this one it's like this woman looking in the mirror like taking a selfie and um a lot of them have like yeah like selfies or like images of like women on like a webcam um and like she talked about this idea oh also there was this like tapestry that she made of her notebook from when she was a kid and it said like I forgot I would have to double check but I feel like it may have said something like like help me or something like she had like written something on the cover of her notebook when she was like a teenager and she was talking about this idea about like when you want attention it's like people have this like pejorative idea of like people but especially teen girls I feel like and definitely teenagers doing things for attention and it's mm. like this like negative concept and I remember her saying something like it's like you know like why like what is wrong about like wanting attention you know like if you want attention or like she had this like that like you know really kind of disturbing like things she had written on her notebook as a teenager and it's like this kind of idea people have about like teenagers where they're just like oh they just like are doing this for attention well, wasn't that show too a lot about self-harm or was that a different show mm -hmm. yeah there were some images of self-harm too yeah so I, I i totally i mean it's it's such a easy and dismissive way to not look at the harder questions that are underlying teenagers lives and like the emotional landscape that is clearly crying you know oh we see this as a you know there's nothing more like mean sounding you know in this way oh we think of this as a call for help you know we think this is this is a cry for attention <laughs> you right know, you liar you don't actually need help you just want attention like that it's true it's such a weird divide between like wanting and needing help mm -hmm. and then like being i guess i guess the implication is you're somebody who's like performing the act of wanting attention rather than being someone who actually needs attention but there's some sort of pleasure that we gain out of getting attention that can exist for its own sake right which is such a big fear i think for a lot of people who need help and and act in in these certain ways is like oh well i want to be seen because i want help but if i am seen i will be seen as somebody who is you know morally flawed because they're not able to help themselves which is so our culture like it's very confusing in terms of like self-help oh you should be able to help yourself you should be able to get a book at barnes and noble and go home and do the workbook and help yourself um which yeah. again might even speak to the like invisibility part like we don't want to see that like you should be your your pain should be invisible because it's uncomfortable for us to have to deal with it I don't yeah. have a, any, I don't actually have any thoughts on this. So I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, for sure. And I feel like, yeah, it's like, I think that a lot of the poems in this book and like, um, I think like my poems in general just sometimes are like, think like, you know, exploring that idea of like this like teen girl voice or mm -hmm. like um, young woman voice that is like, not behaving in this way that like 
commands traditional respect but like wants attention and not having to like apologize for that I guess yeah well you wield it in a different way now that you've grown and you know been educated in poetry and and have a sort of aesthetic um eye towards and, and musicality to you know and tone and all the things that go into the the divide between just sort of like wanting attention is different than um reflecting upon the act of wanting attention um i guess that's obvious mm-hmm, or like performing it Oh, I was thinking of uh, the poem Freddy Krueger is a Cutter. Can we hear that poem? Freddy Krueger is a Cutter. He loves to cut himself in your dreams, then laugh at how he doesn't bleed. I dropped my work ID in the middle of the street. It opened up a portal in the pavement. I know I said that I was done, but I'm going to keep going. Things that grow out of pavement, glittery tear that rolls out of my eye. Girls who dress for work like they're dressing for the most important social event of their lives. I'm disappointed with myself that I didn't return the sweater, but happy with myself for going to the gym. I'm in the basement. I'm in the clouds. I'm in the bathroom listening to all the pissing sounds. Caught myself doing air guitar on the train to doll parts, couldn't stop. Put my headphones on and somehow Ani was already playing, didn't question it. Cause there's a God, cause there is a goddess. Thank you by Alanis. They really want you, but I do too. Doll parts makes me think of my mom driving in the car in 1994, learning that every mom is not like your mom. I went to college. I wrote a short story called The Pullout Method, learning how to wash your own clothes. Woke up with an overwhelming desire to wear the color purple. Put on the paisley shirt Amic bought me at H&M. Someday it'll be vintage. Someday, not that far away. I remember when Tara turned 25, she posted, I'm officially vintage. I remember when Jason used Amick's name in a poem. Where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? I wear these sneakers my sister bought me that are so not me. But it's like I don't even care about my identity. Wanted to listen to Bangles radio. Love it in your room at night. In the dark, I like to read his mind. Story you'll tell your kid someday in a car. I didn't get that trivial pursuit. Was about it being trivial. Still don't. Felt like a game that was made for boys. In a world that's run by men. Poem I wrote about Freddy. Poem I wrote about Jason. I listen to doll parts. I think it is the 90s. The pink one cut me another piece. Freddy Krueger is a Cutter by Marissa Crawford. I, you know, two things about this poem. The hilarious meta conversation with one's own memory and life in the poem and also a kind of consciousness of the poem itself being revealed here it's as if the poem is taking on the consciousness of not only the writer but of the pop culture and socialized um culture of the speaker i thought of this trend well maybe it's the trend it's it's how i articulate the trend um in poetry as sort of really coming into its own during the New York school poets time. And of course I thought of Frank O'Hara and Joe Brainerd while reading your book. Um, but all this wandering of New York city um, commentary with art, with music, with friends, with poets, with time. 
I was wondering about the development of your very specific voice um, that I see in all your books. Um, how, how do we how do we get here to to diary? So, you know, who were your first poetry loves? Maybe that's a good place to start. Like, whose poetry did you fall in love with and when? I don't know. Like, I feel like Frank O'Hara was definitely like an early poetry love. And I think I have a poem in this book where I'd say like a TA when I was in college, like asked me who my favorite poets were. And I said, Frank O'Hara. Um, I mean, the speaker says this, but this actually happened to me. Um, <laughs> of course. And, oh, of course. And like the, the TA like kind of like laughed and I was like, oh, like, I guess that was a bad answer. But like, yeah, I don't know. I read Frank O'Hara. For <laughs> that's the first a good time. answer. It's a no, great answer. A really like, answer. I stand yeah, yeah. by it. <laughs> I mean, what do you want? Mary Oliver, come on. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, I feel like Frank O'Hara, like Bernadette Mayer. Um, yeah. Gloria right. Anseldua, like. Um, but yeah, I think like these poems, like I feel like one thing that definitely feels different about these poems was that I um, I think I kind of like let let them be a little like looser um, than my like last two books, um, which I think felt like more like like um, not like overcrafted, but like I feel like I was just like really like I needed to just like craft and recraft. And like part of it was just like you know having a busier life like having a job like being like older and just being like you know what like maybe um it's not like I I don't know like maybe it's not actually like serving these poems to like do that like I just felt like they wanted to like be like longer lines and like more open um but yeah they're very the the lines are very spaced out and yeah and, and varied and and leaping along I mean, it did feel like wandering, right? It did feel like wandering the city and all, all, you know, the thoughts that pop up. Definitely like an infectious tone, you know, it makes me almost think in that, in the, in your poetry and like, and it makes me observe the potentiality of my very own thoughts. Like, mm-hmm. and that there's, cause there's, you know, the ordinary sort of texture of, the word you know tampon or something is like is like given 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 space uh and 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 tinged with um very like anti-sentimental um reverence uh Mm. so so i loved that um yeah i mean like i definitely wrote like i think like the the aesthetic of like having a job that like takes up all your time is like part of like what is like the container for these poems like I wrote most of them like walking around in like midtown on my lunch break you know are you Um, working like in a corporate building in midtown yeah I mean not anymore but I was at the time Yeah, yeah like when I wrote these um and and like yeah I think just like being in that space like just I was like just often like just walking around and like seeing things and um and kind of yeah I think just like interested in like the everyday of of, like that existence of like having a job like being a woman like whatever having your period (laughs) yeah (laughs) the um the opening quote for the section big brown bag is so apt i wanted to read it it's from sylvia plath's bell jar piece by piece i fed my wardrobe to the night wind and flutteringly like a loved one's ashes the gray scraps were ferried off to settle here there exactly where i would never know in the dark heart of new york so perfect you touch upon two things in that quote that are addressed in the the poem that follows and certainly in the entire book uh clothes and new york city um there was something very specific about color and texture and as i was sort of saying about your very unique gaze upon the world is that like clothing seems I don't want to be like mixing the metaphor here but like it seems very curated um your very specific 
attention to to clothing are are you interested in fashion outside of poetry or is that it's i don't know it seems linked to the 90s too like or linked to interest in pop culture mhm yeah i mean i think like i always thought of fashion and style and getting dressed as like a form of like joy and personal expression you know it was like this like way I could like have fun and like when I was younger especially like I feel like I would like just like always be like thinking about my outfits I would like put them together like the night before or like even like in advance I would write down what I wore every day when I was in high school and middle school oh my god and like I wrote it down yeah, I wrote it down. Like, I wish I still had those. Um... That would be so, that would be gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I didn't want to like repeat my outfits. Like I wanted to keep track, but like, <laughs> but, um, but I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it was like this place of like inspiration and creativity, you know? Um, yeah. and I feel like that connects like the idea too, of like the poetics and the, the like drudgery of like, just like having to get to work. You know what I mean? Like, I think you yeah. like leave some of that behind. Like, I guess I got to a certain point in life where I was like, oh shit. Like if I want to be someone who always looks perfect and amazing, I like might not be able to be a poet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's only like 24 hours in a day. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so I was like, all right, like I still want to like, whatever. Like, I just feel like it's like, it's just, it is this like form of expression, but like, it's like constantly like trying to navigate that but um but yeah I don't know I feel like I am sentimental about clothes and like always like hold on to clothes and like think about like what I was wearing like at different times um and like the speaker in this um section like big brown bag is like of course like the Bloomingdale's bag and like um, okay that's what it is yeah 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 and like it's but it's also just deals. like a yeah. big brown bag you know that like you yeah. could barf in on an airplane <laughs> like, <laughs> like I feel I was... like it's just like this bag that you could just put things in <laughs> well it's funny that it's Bloomingdale's because in my head I was like oh like when you go to the Salvation in the Army and they're like fill a brown bag full oh, shit yeah, <laughs> totally yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, it's just like this bag that you can put, yeah, like for a dollar or whatever price. Yeah. Like it's like just filling it with like objects and it's like yeah. kind of this like consumeristic image, but like, um, but then like, I feel like the back end of like this, like, it's like this, like these like shiny, like, um, like brand name objects, like, conf- like uh, alongside the like drudgery of just like um going to work every day and like just like the everyday you know um accumulation of like moments and objects I was thinking about how contained your lines are and I feel like I'm trying to articulate this with my students when I'm teaching a lot letting a phrase ring more contained and letting a line of a poem feel like a mini poem within the poem and Mm. those leaping between those lines there's such energy between the not sort of almost non sequitur or list it's very list like and it builds and builds into something larger like on page 31 you write buying clothes you don't like running up the stairs to a job you hate On the subway, one hunched-over old man gave up his seat to another hunched-over old man. I just, I loved those lines so much in it. It felt, I was, I loved the movie uh, Wings of Desire, and the angels in the movie are, go around these little notebooks, like, recording little moments like that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was such a beautiful, that's what makes us human so much, is is these little contained lines narrating really what just is. And you sort of, you weave in and out of that because you don't just record just what you see. You invent too, you imagine, uh, you dream with us. But I just, you know, woman who hates 
Bloomingdale so much she broke the elevator with the power of her hatred. Like there's there's a moment of that dreaming. Um, followed by I was wearing the Smashing Pumpkins Zero shirt. I guess we've already touched a little bit about on your process about how you assemble these lines and listen to find these lines. But I, I was curious if you wanted to get more into how you edited this book or what, what happens in your body when um, something stands out as unique in the world um, and how you, how you choose to keep and not keep certain lines. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, yeah, it's interesting that you say like the lines feel contained because I think a lot of it was written in fragments. Um, like it would be like, I feel like I used to more often write like an entire poem. And I think with this, with these poems, a lot of them were written, like it was like, I just wrote down a line here and there. And then later on I went and like, just put them all together um, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. make like a longer poem or, you know, series of poems. It kind of reminds me of, I just thought of Ted Berrigan, the way I remember him, mm. like he, his sonnets were like, lines that like kind of were moved around they could be put anywhere but yeah but totally. also I remember talking to Elisa Gabbert about her new book not that long ago and she's similar like well she was saying too that it almost had a little bit to do with social media like I think a lot of her lines for her poems were um tweets that's so interesting. Yeah. So yeah. there, I wonder if there's some sort of like, there's like a fragmentary nature of our social media. Totally. Yeah. There's like a fragmentary nature of social media and like, yeah. And I think like, I remember talking about this with like Dan Majors once like years ago um, and him saying something like he realized he was just like tweeting all his best lines or something. <laughs> and it yes. is kind of true. Like yeah. I don't yeah. really use Twitter. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Like I just, I have a hard time with it. Like yeah. I can't yeah. commit or something. Like, no, you have to commit or yeah. nothing. You, you, like, can't, you can't have as it. Yeah. And like, but I feel like it is kind of similar, like to just like write down like an idea and have it be like a thing that you could tweet. Like, I think some of these, like, I could have tweeted, but like, yeah. but yeah, it's like, you almost like, I think I kind of like put them together and like, felt like, um, like what worked, like what didn't work together. It was just kind of like a putting together of like puzzle pieces to like, see mm -hmm. how it flowed. Um, and like, I thought it might just be like, I think in my mind, like, I'm still kind of sad that like, it's not a long poem called diary because like yeah. that was like what I imagined like it was like but then I feel like it just wasn't quite right like it I don't know like there were all these other poems too that didn't kind of like fit in that like mold or whatever but um but yeah I don't know I think I just like you asked like what happens in my body like I don't I think I just like I feel like I committed in like college to like when I have the idea for like a line of a poem like to just write it down you know like yeah. no matter what I was doing yeah and I feel that's like a that's good commitment kind of like what it is it's like I could yeah. write and it's like maybe it's harder to write like whole poems like maybe if I like sat down with the line it would become a whole poem but instead yeah. I just write down the line in my like you know notes app or whatever and then like do something else with it um but yeah I'm interested in the form of the diary and the so-called confessional. What do we make of the confessional? What is the fundamental difference between the private confession, like the like the confessional booth or say the diary, and the public? It seems you deliberately play with that irony. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about like diary because it's like feels very much like observed observations about like every day um but then I was also thinking about like the confessional and um and kind of like um like just I guess like gendered ideas about the confessional like I feel like confessional in poetry is like I associate it most often with like Sylvia Plath like Anne Sexton um women poet I think it's a word that is sometimes used to talk about 
male poets. Um, but I feel like it's most... But we all think about women when we hear Yeah, it. Maybe, we think maybe about like women. Robert Lowell, like, going on a tear or something. But really, we think of the women. Yeah, like, Robert Lowell, I think it was, like, Life Studies. That was, like, the first book that was called confessional but like yeah we think of sylvia plath and like we think of like this woman and like sylvia plath obviously this amazing poet but we think of her as in our culture widely as this kind of like i don't know like like uh spewing forth of emotion in her poems right like this idea of like almost like women I feel like the confessional when we talk about women's poetry almost is like suggesting this idea that like women um, can't not can't don't have an imagination beyond like the immediate personal and emotion an emotional. You know what I mean? Um, whereas like when men write about like personal everyday whatever writing I feel like it's more often thought of as like oh these like um you know commentary about the world um and so I was thinking about that too I guess like um I I I was talking about this um recently like when when we were growing up like Alanis Morissette comes up in this book and like I feel like she was like this person that like when her when her music came out in the 90s it was like I feel like she was treated like, oh, this woman's just like spewing her diary. Mm. <laughs> and um, and I feel yeah. like that was almost like a cautionary tale um, for girls our age. Like, it's like you don't want to be that kind of an artist. You don't want to be seen that way. You don't want to be thought of as confessional. But but also like the confessional is not that, you know, the confessional is crafted and it's intentional and it's right art and it's powerful so I think I was trying to like I don't know like play with those ideas in these poems right I mean also like was there a bigger album than Jagged Little Pill I mean Jesus Christ like (laughs) men women children old people I feel like all of that album still love that album it's true it's so good yeah um well, it's been so awesome talking with you. I would love to um, end on a poem. If you had one that you feel like is a good ending poem, maybe maybe a diary one. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, this has been so fun. Thank you so much um, for having me. It's been so nice to get to talk to you. Um, do you have one in particular in mind or I can just... Well, I had some favorites. I, yeah. It's true. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I loved poem after one Jack and Ginger while home alone listening to Steve Miller's Spotify station. And I also loved um, Diary on page 61. I don't know one you prefer okay um i'll read the diary one just because i'm opened to it (laughs) (laughs) okay um okay diary i have a two-part ring that he gave to me when i was 17 flip it around the bottom part is me now Lacey changed what she actually dressed like in the 90s to be more girly for the 90s party. My locker combo did this to me. Ask not why you weren't in a band in high school, but why you don't start a band right now. If I surround myself with all the most positive people, it will be as though I started a band in high school, metaphorically. Sister... Resistor, Cape Cod, Colonial. I'm obsessed with the past and you're obsessed with the present. It's so boring. I saw a ghost. I I was always looking for things that were the perfect blend of us together. Us, 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 us. You, 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 me, 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 me. Jean-Luc Godard book and Jackie O's sunglasses, corner next to the post office, 
John and Yoko, Ross and Rachel, texting you I'm sorry, burning my diary, making you a copy on CD. When I'm staring at a baby and their mom is looking back at me, and there are giant hamburger emojis where my eyes should be. The TA, the TA I had in college who asked what poetry I like to read, I said Frank O'Hara unconfidently, and for some reason he laughed at me. The part of Fast Times at Richmond High when Linda says, Stacy, he's not a guy, he's a little prick. We were laughing so hard in church. Mom told us we were going to hell. Then we did. When they're on a movie call in Back to the Future 2, when my iPhone sends out an old email from October that says, running late, be there in 10, and it's like I never got there, and also like I'm still on my way.